If you want to turn, you have a copy of the scriptures to Philippians chapter 4. Pull it up in your device. We'll have it on the screen for you. But we'll look at Philippians chapter 4. As you turn there, a couple of kind of just family moments, kind of family things we'll make sure we mention. Uh, one is this. If you had the chance to be here last Sunday, we prayed uh, together for Mr. Teddy McCullers, uh, the, the new infant son of Nick and Madeline. And I just want to report to you that I believe it was Thursday of this week, but at the end of this past week, they were able to go home. Uh, had a uh, check back up with the Dr. Friday. Everything's going well. Uh, they said no visitors until he's about a month old, so you're not going to get to see him anytime real soon. But other than that, things are going really well. Uh, he is healthy. They are home and not trying to figure out hospital life. Um, and, and, and might that have happened without us praying? Absolutely. But we prayed and it did happen, right? And so I uh, just want to thank you for being a praying church and, and update you on that. also want to remind you briefly that uh, this year we're walking through what is hopefully a, a good access point to reading the Bible uh, with a five-day-a-week Bible reading plan. Uh, if you hadn't noticed, we just started a new month, and so the new plan uh, actually starts tomorrow. And so there was one of these in your seat. If not, there's one close to you, or we may have some extras back at the table back there. Uh, this is a great time. Uh, at the beginning of a new month, for you to jump in if you hadn't been reading with us. Uh, if you have been reading with us, hear this, uh, catch up, and, and jump back in as, as we start the new month. And at the end of this month, if you've done both of those months, you will have read the entire book of Mark, which to some may not feel like a big accomplishment, but for some of us, that may be way more Bible than we've read in a really long time, okay? And so um, my hope and aim is that we would uh, come alongside you even better in the months to come and try to offer some help and assistance as we read Scripture together. So be on the lookout for that. But I just urge you uh, not, not into some, some religious plan that's going to overheap you with guilt. or what. I just urge you just to, just to try reading the Bible. <laughs> just try opening it up and, and just saying to God, God, let me see you clearly. Uh, and just read what's there, right? And see what God might do even just through uh, reading the scripture. So be sure to take that home with you today. If you've been reading in the plan this past week, one of the stories that we read was of a lady who had been for many years uh, debilitated by illness. And she had spent uh, all of her resources on different doctors trying to find a, a cure and a remedy and it says that she was left without any other options. And so if you remember the story, she pressed into the midst of a great crowd, so many people all around. And she pressed in just trying to get close to Jesus because she believed rightly that if she could just touch even just the, the, the absolute uh, fringe of his garment there, just the edge of, of his cloak, that, that she would be healed. And that's exactly what God did for her. And I just was thinking about that this morning, just that eagerness she had just to be close to Jesus, just to get near him, just trusting that if I truly have an encounter, an interaction with Jesus, things will go differently for me. <laughs> I just put that before you this morning. We're going to pray as we usually do and just ask God, God, speak to me and I'll listen. And so if that's your heart, you could say, hey, I, I'm not sure about man, where my faith is. I'm not sure if there even is a God or no matter how you come, hey, I'm absolutely sold on Jesus, loving with my whole heart, mostly happy in my faith, but really struggling in this one thought that keeps coming back to me. Whatever you come today, if it'd be true for you that you would say, man, I'm, I'm eager to get close, I'm eager to get there and just hear from God, then you just tell him in your own way, in the stillness of your own soul there, God, if you'll speak to me, I'll listen and then I'll pray for us.
God, you've been good to us all of our days. That's true when we're aware of it and when we're not, when we are responding in worship and when we're not. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Everything that could be labeled good is from you. You are in your self, in your heart, in your character, above every word that we might use to try to come close to even describing you. You're just good. You're the opposite of everything that is bad and oppositional in our lives. And so would you be good to us now? We trust you to, to be good to us in your word. God, I pray that people would leave here with much more than, than a silly guy like me could do. But that instead we would leave here knowing that we've heard from you. In a really complex and sometimes challenging topic, God, I pray you'd help us to hear clearly from your word, clearly from your heart. I ask this for your name, Jesus. Amen. I had to ask my wife uh, just a moment ago just to verify and make sure I was correct on the date. It was actually 10 years ago uh, that uh, we moved from where I had always lived, the Birmingham, Alabama area. We moved from there uh, about two and a half hours south into lower Alabama, into Troy, Alabama, to do what we could tell by, by faith. As best as we knew by faith, we felt that God was leading us to start a new church in Troy, Alabama. And so we uh, had, had been praying through that, been discussing that with some godly counsel for many months, and finally just reached a point where it was, it was just time to step out and, and do it. And so we, we did that. We started to let our leadership know. We let our church know that's what we were going to do. And very quickly, things started to progress, much more quickly than we would have expected. Our, our house sold before we even put it on the market um, for the full asking price, and that was pre-COVID market. Um, Julie, you know what I'm saying. The houses used to sit on the market back in the day, okay? But that, this didn't. Our house sold quickly. I had just told the church that we were leaving, and all of a sudden, we reached a point pretty quickly where we, we had to be out of our house in like three weeks, and I didn't have a job yet in Troy and we didn't have anywhere to live there, and we had absolutely no idea what we were going to do. And, and as funny as we've told people about the church and about what God did there, by the way, some of the biggest hurts and pains I've ever experienced in my life were in that experience, but also some of the biggest joys in seeing God absolutely move in people's lives in that same time. But as we've shared that with people, it hasn't been uncommon for people to affirm us or compliment us, encourage us, and say, you're so faithful. I could never do that. What a big faith. And it's interesting when they say that. I can see it a little bit better now retrospectively. But it's interesting when people have said that. I think back to it, and it didn't feel a lot like faith. <laughs> I remember us having multiple down on our knees at the couch with our hands clasped. Kids are asleep, and we're weeping into the cushions of the couch like, God, what have we done? What are we doing? We got little mouths back there, and I don't know how I'm going to put groceries in them for too long. Got a little bit saved up, but after a minute, they're going to get hungry. I'm not sure the littlest one might not eat the older one. He was a hungry fella. <laughs> there were lots of moments of just gut-wrenching what is going on and talking with family and praying with family and how are we going to feed the kids and how are we going to pay the bills and is there even going to be a roof over our heads to pay for what in the world is going to happen? There was a moment of help and perspective 
I was reading a book at the time from an author who was just challenging people and encouraging them to step out and do big things for the Lord in faith. And he actually put his phone number in the back of the book. And I was like, no way, right? And totally outside of my character, I called him to go, hey, how stupid is this thing that I'm doing? Expecting him to be like, no, man, you're awesome. It's going to be great. And instead, what he said was, well, now that I've heard all your worries and concerns, here's the deal. You might move down there to start a church, and God might go, well, that was the wrong move. And he might give you a terminal illness, and you may leave your family fatherless. And I was sitting there like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, what? And I was like, man, you need to take the number out of the back of the book. This is not, you misunderstood the assignment, right? He says all that, and then he says, but that doesn't sound like God. I think you're probably going to be fine. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was eye-opening for me. It really started down the path of understanding and seeing things more clearly of like, okay, let's get some perspective here. God's probably going to handle it. He's probably going to be good to me. He's probably going to care for me, even if I'm doing something that's, that's not necessarily lockstep with, with what I should be doing right this moment. He's going to be okay with that. He's going to take care of me. But even with that, I, I remember finding myself quite literally in the bed, covered up under blankets, and, and not able to even think about just the one question or the one concern or the other, and just being in this, this state of, of spiritual and emotional and probably even physical, just panicky jumpiness. Man, and just not being able to get my mind around any of it. It was tough. Hopefully you haven't, but I'd be willing to bet that some of you have been there. It's miserable, isn't it? Be it financial matters, things you didn't foresee coming, or things you understood one way and all of a sudden they were a different way. Relationship issues, be that family or friends. Maybe concern over your own actual physical safety. You can watch the news for 30 minutes and, and there's plenty of stuff out there to give you reason to be a little bit frightful about stepping out into public if you're not careful. Regardless if it's several issues in any one of those quadrants or if it's Maybe one from each all coming in at the same time. It's a miserable experience to be fearful. Fearful and maybe not even know why or fearful and know why but feel so fearful that you're unable to get yourself in gear to try to assess and, and tackle it with the Lord. I read a, uh, an illustration recently. It said that the, the Bureau for Statistics, so whoever they are, I have no idea, but they sound official like a ref with a whistle, okay? And so th th they said that uh, a fog that would be 100 feet tall, a 100 feet tall fog that would cover seven city blocks. So it's that big and wide, and it's 100 feet tall. They said all of that condensation, all that moisture would actually fit into a little bit less than one glass of water. Just that one little bit of glass of water, when it's spread out into over 60 billion very small, minute drops, it creates an absolute haze and fog that is hard to deal with. A lot of times life can feel like that, can it? As we've walked through the book of Philippians over the last few weeks, one of the hopes is that God would shine his divine knowledge and care into the depths of our souls, and he would show us where and, and why it is that we're not able to be happy or that we struggle and wrestle to be happy. As Paul, writing from prison, writing from hard circumstances over and over again, talks about this intense, resilient happiness that can only be found in Jesus called joy. He, he mentions it over and over again as he's imprisoned. 
He's not sure if he's going to live or die. So he's writing about that. I'm hoping that God is going to point into us and start with me and show us, hey, this is where you've based happiness on some, some different stuff, and here's where I want you to find your happiness. Here's where your happiness is shaky, and here's how you can firm it up. We saw last week as we looked at the beginning of chapter 4 that Paul was calling the Philippians and God through his word is calling us to embrace the happiness we have in Jesus by agreeing with each other in the Lord, by helping each other do that, being reasonable with everyone around us because of who Jesus is. And we saw at the end of that verse 5, 5b if you will, the second half of the verse is kind of this bridging or connecting thought meaning that it sums up those verses we looked at last week really well. It gives the, the causative reason for us to be able to be reasonable, for us to agree in the Lord. It says the Lord is at hand. It basically just Jesus is close. You do certain things when certain people are in the room, when your spouse is in the room, when your kids are in the room, when your kids aren't in the room, when that special someone is the room. Whoever it is, we act differently depending on who's close. And the idea there was Jesus is close. So agree in the Lord, but it's also the launching pad into these thoughts we're going to see today. So Jesus is close, knowing that. How do we wrap our lives around these truths and these calls? Philippians 4, we're going to start in verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> That's funny, almost, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there it is, that hard to nail down, yet really present and, and overbearing bully anxiety. Verse 6 starts with it, do not be anxious. Anxiety, this fear, this worry about things that you don't know how they're going to turn out. Or you know exactly how it's going to go and you're not sure what the ripple effects of that are going to be in your life. This worry that you're maybe not able to deal with because it just feels so overwhelming, you can't even get your mind and your heart around it. When I think of anxiety, you may have a better working definition, but kind of my working definition is unhealthy concern about uncertain outcomes. There's a healthy concern you have when outcomes are uncertain. Like if your toddler's making his way to the road and a car's coming, it'd be good to be concerned about that. <laughs> but unhealthy concern. And the call in our lives from Paul, and we need to just let it sit heavy in our hearts for just a second at least, is this. Don't be that. <laughs> Don't be anxious. Now for some of us in the room, it would be really easy for us to feel alone. It would be really easy for us to feel, maybe others don't realize it, but what we're feeling inside is really called out, really pinpointed because we're going, hey, I, I really wrestle with anxiety in ways that people don't even understand and maybe it's even different possibly than what Paul is talking about. Let me just say this to you really quickly. All right, a recent survey showed that 36% of responding U.S. citizens said that they wrestle with debilitating anxiety. Anxiety, debilitating, meaning that it affects every area of their life in a negative way. And that 36%, more than one in three, so if you look at the person on your left and your right, one of the three of you would have said yes to that. Those 36%, that more than one in three, those are just the ones who recognize its presence in their life and responded to the survey and said yes. 
It's actually estimated by mental health professionals that as high as 50% of adult Americans are impacted by anxiety in such a way that it would be diagnosable as anxiety disorder as, as high as half. In the world that we live in, 100 million people suffer from anxiety attacks, not just anxiety present, but actual physical manifestations of worry and fear and concern. 100 million people. I've been to a very large football stadium. It sat at the time 107,000, and it looked like an endless sea of people. That's 100,000. This is 100 million people. I want you to hear today that you are not alone. That God does not waste Bible space, that if he addresses it in the scriptures, that was to be for its original readers, but in his wisdom, no doubt, he knew millions and billions of people are going to be led by this in their lives. They're going to look to it as an authoritative source and text for their lives over years and years and years. If God put it in the scriptures, it's there for a reason. If he's addressing an issue, it's probably because there are many of us that need help with it. Anxiety has impacted every life in this room in some way or another, on some level or another. So you are not alone. I also want to point out that, that, that anxiety is multifactorial, meaning there are multiple factors that can contribute, right? And I don't want to ignore that, okay? Your, your relational history, your experience of your formational family experience and who you grew up with and how the behaviors were and the interactions were between you can really heavily influence your experience of anxiety, so can just your physiological makeup, your wiring, who you are. It can even be genetic that you're just more prone to it. Listen, I don't want to ignore any of that. I don't want to lump this softball spiritual statement up and, and act like that stuff isn't real and doesn't exist. Listen, we should do everything I think we can to be faithful when it says don't be anxious. Pursue any avenue that might be helpful if the Lord leads you down that path. I want you to hear this. If you're one of the people who are going, no, it's me. I'm the people that Jesus is talking to. It's, I've got the problem. Or if you're one of those people going, yeah, I hear that, but it sounds more like a sentence of guilt. It feels like a leading towards something that's impossible. It feels like God is kind of punishing me through Paul saying, go do this. And he knows there's no way that it's ever going to happen. If you're one of those people, I just want you to hear this in that if you're more prone towards anxiety sticking to you in your life, listen, your susceptibility is not sin. Your predisposition to experience it more easily for your download speed with anxiety to happen quicker than others. Your, your predisposition towards that, if you have one, is not disobedience to God. Paul does not say, do not be tempted to be anxious. He doesn't say, don't ever have a thought fly across your mind that you have to say no to. Martin Luther, a long time ago, he said this. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying you can't stop the temptation or you can't stop the, the thought of doubt or the, the, the thing from just flying across your radar, but you don't have to bring it in and set it down on the couch and, and get it a cup of juice. But, but that predisposition, that susceptibility to it is not sinful in and of itself. Our enemy would love for you to believe that God's command for you is don't ever be tempted with anxiety. And he would love to just steep you down and cover you up with guilt and shame when you struggle in that arena. And that's not what God is saying through Paul. 
What he is saying is, don't be anxious. Maybe bold that word in your mind, in your heart. Don't be anxious. What I hope that you're hearing, what I believe that Paul would agree with, I pray, is that it's not sinful for us to wrestle with anxiety. The problem comes when we stop to wrestle with anxiety. When we accept it, let it live, let it dwell, and therefore diminish our faithfulness to God, diminish our joy in Jesus. Man, just don't be anxious. I've been there. You heard a little bit about it a minute ago. I've been there a couple of times in my life. Drank that cup all the way to the bottom. Been there in the closet on my knees, dry heaving because there's no more tears to cry and not sure what else to say to God. I've You're not alone. You're not sinful for struggling. What Paul is calling you to is to not give up the fight of faith, to believe that God is bigger even than that. And to figure out what it looks like to wrap our lives around that big God in that specific struggle. He says, don't be anxious. Awesome. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? It was just a light switch. You just kept it in your back pocket, like, click, done, not anxious. That'd be great. That's not how the Lord did it. What help does he give us in this attempt to be faithful and not be anxious? He says, don't be anxious. Notice what he doesn't want us to be anxious about, anything. Two big, wide-scope terms in these verses. One is anything. The other one is everything. I love how Scripture understands us. How it makes the category big enough for anything that you could possibly bring in to be anxious about. We can worry about the most ridiculous of things, can't we? Certainly the big things that we understand, but there's also the small things. Right? When I dropped the kids off in the parent pickup line this morning, I told them that I loved them, but did my tone sound loving? They're probably at school thinking that I hate them, that I'm not coming back to pick them up. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a bad parent. <laughs> Your kid has a freckle in a place that looks like, heaven forbid, they had their nose pierced. They're only seven. You're like, oh, what will people think? Who cares? (laughs) What does Jesus think? (laughs) Did Did I actually remember to tell my boss about that thing? Or did I just think in my mind to remind myself to remember? Did I actually tell him or did I not tell him? Should I have told him that? Am I going to get fired? Right, like there's this train of thoughts. Is my wife going to realize that it's actually my feet that are causing the house to stink? There's a lot of stuff that we can be riding around and acting like we're just fine. And there's just in the back of our brain just pelting us over and over and over again. My, my best buddy's house I spent a lot of time at, his older brothers, would, when they decided to pick on us, one of the things they would do is sit on us with our arms pinned behind us and just thump us in the nose. Not hard. They, were, they didn't draw blood. They just did it over and over again just for long. I mean, it felt like, man, did we just watch a whole movie? I mean, they were just, they just, just over and over again. And, and that, man, that haunting of anxiety in our minds and hearts can be like that, can't it? See, God understands that anything could be the thing. That it doesn't have to be something that qualifies on the Richter scale of circumstances as huge, categorically. Anything could be the thing that would push us to this place of unhealthy concern about unknown outcomes. So he says, hey, don't be anxious in any of those things. How do we do that? What do we do? Well, then we understanding that, do this instead. It says that we should do what? 
says, in everything, so in all the things in your life, big and small, in everything by prayer. So in all the things in our lives, the big ones and the small ones, all the stuff that could take us to that place where seeing the faithfulness of God has become really eclipsed and hard for me to view because I'm so seeing the grandness of the things that are driving me to anxiety. And all of those things come and pray. Prayer there is really just an all-encompassing term, just meaning pray, just meaning talk to God. There are specific terms for prayer. We'll see one in a second, but this one just means talk to God. Just talk to him. Come to understand how hard it used to be for my mom when she would try to talk to me. I pick my kids up from school sometimes or when I come home from work and I go, how was your day? Good. What was good about it? I don't know. I get creative. Okay, what was the best part and the worst part? Best part was when it was over. The worst part was when it started. <laughs> like, good grief. Would you just tell a brother something? I mean, you can tell me you made a bad grade. You can t- Whatever you want to tell me, I'm just trying to hang out with you. You know, my little fella, sometimes he's a little different. He'll come home. <laughs> hey, dad, did you know that Miss Stevens, she told us to come sit on the rug? And when we did sit on the rug, Mav did sit in a silly way. He didn't sit the right way. That's funny, isn't it? Like, yeah, buddy. And before I can even say, yeah, buddy, he'll be like, and Mary Catherine, she said that her favorite color is purple. And I like red is my favorite color. And I like blue is my favorite color. And I like silver is my favorite color. Right. And when he does all of this sitting in my chair with me, I don't pull out a diagram and go, hey, dude, actually, only one in a set can be your favorite. Right. I don't explain to him the particulars or try to teach him to get it right in his talking to me. He's excited to talk to his dad and ask me, is it cool? Or tell me how awesome it is that dinosaurs are big and they could eat people. And I'm like, that's so cool, right? (laughs) He wants to tell me. He has my ear and he's happy about it. And I'm his dad and I'm so glad that he likes to talk to me. There's not something too small. There's not something too weird. There's not something that you can't come and pray to your heavenly father about. He says, pray in everything. Come and talk to him about everything. In everything by prayer and supplication. Did you supplicate this week? You don't even know, do you? You probably did. I hope you did. But you may not have realized that supplication is asking something of God, but it's really focused more uh, on the tone of heart than it is on the particular of the ask. It's this urgent plea. It's this crying for attention. You have to see this. It's critical. It's crucial. It's much like we talked about last week about entreating, except instead of it being a command to people, it's a request to God. But the tone is urgency. Hear from me, please. Doesn't matter how small it is, if it's taking you to a place of concern that causes you to doubt your Savior, then it's worth bringing to God as if it's an urgent matter. And He's not down on you, embarrassed of you, ashamed of you. He goes, Come, come talk. In everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So here's the deal as much as you are able, name it. You may not even know what's causing you to have this fear and this inward panicky state. That's okay. But as much as you do know it, then name it. Say it to God. 
I've been there in the place where if I had said to me, hey, say it to God, my response would have been, I can't pray. I'm so locked up inside the transmission, the engine is just absolutely torqued. It's not moving. I can't do it. Can I just offer you this? Just as a practical. In that place, tell God that then. In the bed you can't get out of, say, God, I know I can't get out of the bed. But I want to. And I want to believe I can one day. Can I give you some practical? If you can't talk through the issues, maybe your prayer is, God, help me to see what it is that's binding me up in this way. Give me awareness of what it is. Maybe it's just God help me to see you as bigger than. Here's some more practical. Listen, if you can't pray through every issue, if you can't name it with all of them, maybe you type or write at the top of the page stuff or junk or anxieties or whatever you write, and then you just run the list and just write out everything you can think about that's weighing your soul down. Don't think about if it's proper. Nobody's going to see it. You just make your list. And then you get done and you just take a deep breath in and you just... And spiritually, just slide that across the table from, from your sole responsibility to God's sovereign care. But here's everything. I can't even talk about it, but here's everything I can think of. And it's hard, and I need your help. Maybe you do that. What in the world when you're anxious and you feel like you can't stop being anxious, and you're told to pray and you feel like you can't pray, what would give you any confidence What would give you any confidence that God's actually going to come through? Maybe if you do the other thing that Paul talks about, that you do all of this with thanksgiving. So maybe you have another document or another page, and you just write thank you at the top, and you just list it. And here's what I know you will find. If you will just sit with the Lord for even just a short amount of minutes, and you'll just be honest with yourself and God, you have a lot to be thankful for. This is not a Thanksgiving speech. This is not your mama saying, everybody say something before we cut into the cranberry. I'm telling you, in real life, you're sitting here today breathing oxygen. As best I can tell, the lights are bright. Everybody's clothed, I think. Okay? Right, I'm not trying to minimize your hardship, but I am trying to help you see that you are blessed immeasurably, infinitely, and that's all just the physical, physiological stuff. You are blessed in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing that there is in your relationship with Christ Jesus. You may not be feeling that right now. You may not know how to interact with that truth and enjoy it as much. Listen, hang around. Hopefully we'll get there. But, but you've got it. And as you are seeing the things that God has done in your life and you're telling him thank you for things, all of a sudden it starts to make sense a little bit and shift our minds and our hearts even just the tiniest amount away from unhealthy concern into trusting God's care and ability. My dad has told the story numerous times. When he finds something that works, he'll let you know. He's an evangelist for the things he likes. He was going through a really hard season several Really hard circumstances hit him and our family in a very short amount of time. And he was talking to a friend about it. And the friend told him, I want you to drive over to St. Vincent's Hospital. It's a very large hospital just off the interstate in Birmingham, Alabama. So when you're feeling that way, I want you to drive over to that hospital. And I want you to sit in the parking lot and, and turn your truck engine off for just a minute, just 60 seconds. And I want you to look at that hospital. And if you don't have anything else you can say to God, you can say, God, thank you that I'm not in there and my family's not in there and everybody's at home healthy and safe. I don't know how many times he did it. I don't know if he ever did it or if just the idea was enough. I've never asked that question. I probably will this afternoon. Curious now. But 
the reality is that just like this guy saying, hey, maybe you'll get a terminal illness and God will smite you into a puff of smoke because you went and tried to plant a church. But that doesn't sound like God. (laughs) Just like him saying that, this looking at the hospital and going, I've got something big to be grateful for is a perspective changer. And when we come to God thankful, even in our anxiety, even in our hardship, we're more likely to be shifted in our souls to more trust in God and less unhealthy concern about unknown outcomes. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you're looking for a way to sum that up that you might take with you, I would say this, interaction with God is our part in his plan for our anxieties. Interaction with God is our part in his plan for our anxieties. I want to make sure you're hearing this again. I want to come back around and say this again. I'm not presenting this to you as a perfect light switch that you're going to do these things perfectly and anxiety is going to go perfectly away. You're not going to do these things perfectly because you're an imperfect human. The things that are bogging you down may not immediately just disappear because life is real and broken and tattered and hard. But I do believe that the reality is that if God says don't live in a perpetual state of anxiety, don't be anxious, don't be okay with it, don't fail to wrestle with it faithfully. If he calls us towards that and then tells us how to walk in it, there has got to be victory and aid in the things that he calls us to. And what he's called us to is to interaction with him. General conversation, praying, supplication, asking urgently, naming our request and going, God, thank you. No matter what you do with this, no matter how long it takes me to understand this, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it doesn't do any good to know that interaction with God is our part in his plan for our anxieties. We actually have to do it. (laughs) Let me give you an embarrassing side profile. You see this? This is not on purpose. I didn't wear a tight shirt on purpose today. It's the only one I could find that wasn't wrinkled. I'm being real talk. It was early in the morning. My wife was asleep. I don't even know where the iron is in our house. Okay, I didn't know that until this morning. I thought I knew where the iron was, and then I was like, I don't even know where to start looking. So I couldn't iron any of the shirts that were big enough. So I got this going for you today. Here's what I know from past experience, successful past experience. I know that less sugar, oatmeal cream pies, ice cream, cookies, Shortbread cookies that come home in a box because my daughter loves them. Why do they have to come into my house, though? Because I'm not going to eat one. I'm going to eat seven. I know that less of that and more of me in motion moving my physical body instead of sitting in the recliner with my feet up, I know that that produces results here in this area, in this region. Okay? I just know it's generally held truth. That happens. But it's not doing me jack squat good to know that if I'm not doing something about it. It's not helping me to sit in the recliner and know that this is how it works. To agree, yes. What helps is when I do, yes. And God is saying, don't just think about how interacting with me is supposed to be the way that I'm offering you some help and a lifeline in this anxiety. I'm saying even if it's stunted and even if it's broken conversation and even if you feel like you're not getting anywhere, don't trust your insecurities and what they're yelling at you. Instead, trust me Come interact with me. Because God doesn't just want to do stuff for you. He wants to do stuff with you. Interaction. Our part in God's plans for our anxieties. Now here's a little bit. I believe. If you're struggling to believe that it could actually be effective in your life. I'll just give you this quickly. Verse 7. It says when this happens. When we've developed this lifestyle. Being these people who pray. Who supplicate. 
we're thankful. We let our request be known. This is what he says can come about in our lives, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about just an easy feeling. I got a peaceful. I don't know the rest of that song. I don't know where it goes. If it's a horrible song, I just know that part. Okay, so get on over it. All right. But it's not just talking about that feeling. It's not talking about a happy feeling. The Bible talks about peace. It's talking about completeness. It's talking about having everything that matters. Everything that's crucial, you have it. You're complete, you're whole, you're lacking nothing. And here's what we just read in the scriptures, that if we would be people who would interact with God, even in our deepest anxieties, we can see that this God who has perfect peace would use that peace in our lives. And can I just say to you that his peace is absolutely mind-boggling if it's really perfect peace. Anything that God would put on his Christmas list, he doesn't have to because he's already got any good that would come from it. He's already got it. It's already his. God's never watched an ad and thought, ooh, I should buy that, right? He's never thought, if I get that, it'll make me happy because I'll be better at golf or my hair will look more full and less like I'm going bald or whatever it is. He's never, ever thought that. He has everything he needs to flourish and to have joy radiating from himself. He has everything. And that surpasses our understanding because if I were to meet you at the back door today and I was to say, hey, don't ask me how, but I've come into several million dollars and is there anything I could get you that would help you with life? If I were to ask you that at the back door, I'd be willing to bet you might be polite out here on the outside and humble and like, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm good. But I bet you a million bucks, and I can because now I'm a millionaire in this scenario, right? If I, if I bet you this fake million dollars that inside your head you would be able to radically, just really quickly rattle off a long list of things. <laughs> oh, I just need a retirement account. I just need a boat. I just need new toothpaste. I just need, right, like whatever. What if you were standing in line next to somebody and they came up and they sincerely, like as legitimately as possible, were like, no, I, I just, I, I, I can't think of anything. I definitely don't need anything. I don't even think I want anything. Got everything. Everything's perfect. All the relationships in my life, perfect. <laughs> Car runs great all the time. Team just won back-to-back championships. <laughs> Trying to help you all out, Georgia, because it ain't going to be, <laughs> ain't going to be that way when the time starts rolling. Just saying. Right, but doesn't it seem awkward? Doesn't it seem ridiculous to think of, of hearing somebody with this offer? Hey, no cost to you. I just want to bless you. What can I do to increase your life and flourishing and help you? And somebody goes, there's absolutely nothing. That blows our minds. But that's who God is. That's his peace. And what we're told is that when we come to him and interact with him and we're doing shared life, fellowship with him, he's sharing his life with us and we're taking it in and we're sharing our lives with him and he's gladly taking in our burdens. When we're doing this, when this becomes the pattern of our lives, that all of a sudden this perfect, strong peace of God starts to creep in. Maybe not perfectly all at once, but it starts to happen at least incrementally. And that peace guards our hearts, the places of what we feel the most and value the most. And it guards our minds, the places where we assess and make decisions. It will guard us. Why will it work? Why is this more than spiritual geometry that if you put the pieces in the right order, it all tends to work? It's because of that last little part, because the position that all of that piece comes from, 
the person who secured all that peace is that our minds and hearts will be guarded by perfect peace in Christ Jesus. The pinnacle of God having everything that he needs and no more worries. He goes, you want to see what it looks like at its best? It's Jesus. All God's promises find their yes in him. That's what his word says. Jesus is the one who has secured it for you through dying for you when you weren't asking him to and didn't realize you needed him to. And even if you had, you wouldn't have wanted him to. You were hostile towards him. You were alienated toward him. You were spiritually dead. And he died willingly, gladly to rescue people just like you. And in so doing, he secured for you not just the promise of peace eternal forever one day, but he secured for you also the true, real experience of some of that peace here and now. There was a guy, my 11th and 12th grade years of high school, I was at a new school, small school, much smaller than the one I'd been at. Everybody but me knew each other. There was a guy for two years that wanted to beat me up. Almost every day he was telling people how he wanted to beat me up. He was saying stuff about me. Just really quickly, I'll run through why I didn't want to beat him up, why I didn't want to fight. Okay, one, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Okay, can't help it. It's just true. <laughs> Two, the girl that he wanted to fight me over, I wasn't even trying to make her my girlfriend. I don't want to fight about Like, why am I going to get bruised up? I don't even, I'm not even interested. Right? Three, he was a good four to five inches taller than me. He loved to fight. He had put it on display before that he was pretty stinking good at it. He ended up playing middle linebacker in college for a scholarship. He was a tough, big, strong dude. I'm not so macho that I'm stupid, okay? No desire to fight this guy. And I, I didn't realize until further on into adulthood how much this really had bothered me. Every day to walk into a reality where you don't feel safe, where you're not sure if the next corner you walk around is the one where there's going to be somebody trying to start something, trying to change your teeth alignment. Every day in a new place with all new people, and you got to be wondering, what's that person where are they? What are they saying to the people that I'm making friendships with every day? You know when I felt safe, though? You know when it didn't bother me at all? It's when my buddy Kevin, he was older than us. He wasn't in our grade. He wasn't a little youngster like us. My buddy Kevin was, was around. He was, he's like six foot four, six foot five. I don't even know how much he weighed. He just, when he walks in, he looks like a big old grizzly bear. He's one of those people that when he walks in, you're not like he's tall. You're like, look, hey, psst. just huge he was kind of this friendly teddy bear gentle giant but if you'd ever seen him play basketball he had plenty of intensity and he would hurt you and Kevin was my boy <laughs> and when I was with Kevin it didn't matter if other dude was in the room or not I was free to be me I could have fun didn't worry about whether he's gonna say something stupid or he's gonna think I'm like well I say whatever I want to say Kevin <laughs> <laughs> Can you just, just hear this? This big, huge, immense God who I can't wrap big enough words around, who created it all, who knows it all, better than you know what's going on in your soul that's causing havoc. He understands it so much better than you do. And he is strong enough to do anything he needs to do about it. The Savior that defeated all opposition, the one who ran against your sin and your destruction to save you, that person is in your corner. 
It's time for us to stop playing with religious platitudes and going, well, God's good all the time. Turn that frown upside down, buddy. Hey. And at the end of the day, underneath that, we don't believe anything about this God would actually change us sometimes. That God is big and huge and at perfect peace, and he will guard your heart and your mind. Your mind and heart may not feel guarded, but his promises are bigger than my feelings. All that is sure in Jesus is enough to mute even our loudest uncertainties. They may be screaming loud, but man, his glory and his care is so much louder. Maybe screaming loud, but what you can hear is him. It can happen in your life. Will we try to trust the relational God, to enter into interaction with him when we're at our moment of being most crippled by uncertainty? How do you need to respond today to God's word? I hope you haven't heard some perfect picture of anxiety escapism. Please, I really hope you haven't heard that, but I hope you have heard a Savior who greatly remedies and helps even long-standing predisposition towards unhealthy concern about unknown outcomes. I know the God who can help you with that. If you don't know him, or if you do, the question is, will you push in to him? Or will you allow the uncertain outcomes to cause you to push away from him? How do you need to respond? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your patience with me. I pray your blood would cover my silly best attempts at preaching your word, that you would let nothing land that wouldn't be helpful and that you would let anything that would be rescuing that's true about you light up in our souls now. Pray that today would be a day that, that somebody in this room, somebody's in this room could look back to and point back to and go, that was the day that I started actually actively trusting God to pursue interaction with him. That was the day that I started to see his perfect peace guard my mind and my heart in Christ Jesus. Do your work in us, God. Lead us in how to respond. Lead us into making that list of concerns if we can't talk about them. Lead us into that, that gratitude that we need to have. Lead us into asking a friend to get a cup of coffee to help figure it out. Lead us into whatever it looks like for us to walk faithfully with you in our brokenness. Lead us in a greater experience of happiness in your holiness. Lead us there for our joy, but for your glory. Use our lives to help others. Let them see through cracked, broken picture frames. Let them see pictures of radiant grace. Lead us in how we respond. Let us leave here to be worshipers. I ask all this for your name, Jesus. Amen.